I hear a train a coming. It's coming round the bend. You gonna sing? <gasps> I ain't seen the sunshine since. I don't know when. I just have to savor this sultry voice that you have going on right yeah, now. Isn't I don't usually sound like this, isn't it? It's cool though. I like it. You should record all the low note vocals that are on your list. I do. Well, I do usually do that when I have a recording project and my voice gets to this point. But but yeah, the reason I have this voice because I had COVID uh, three weeks ago, and it's uh, it's the remnants of that. Plus, just playing a couple shows over the weekend, and I wasn't I was nervous going in because you know singing when your your voice is not a hundred percent is a little little challenging, but we made it work. Yeah, you nailed it. You had a beautiful show last night. Amazing, you hit all the yeah. high notes and. See the range. Kind of You've just extended your range. Is all that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> so today's an exciting day for today us. Today we have our very first guest, and we, we well we just interviewed her, so uh, it was it was awesome. I knew that our our friend and fellow creative Lindsay Doyle is who we interviewed for our first podcast guest. We knew she would be brilliant, and she absolutely delivered. Yeah, and she's uh, she lives close by, which was perfect to have her as the first guest. She's an amazing photographer, has been for 17 years now. Uh, she released a book not too long ago last year. Uh, yeah, 2020, 2020 that book came out. Um, which is essentially a photo, photo essay, what do you call it, photo essays? Mm-hmm. Um, highlighting women in sport. Yeah, she's the book is called Strong and Free, and it's a collection of primarily Nova Scotia-based adult female athletes. And it's such a unique perspective on the benefits of athleticism. And Lindsay's whole uh, drive behind this project was to showcase a lot of these untold stories. So we these are women that we now know and can celebrate their achievements, and it was thanks to Lindsay's photography and storytelling that allowed these amazing women's backgrounds to be shared with others. Yeah, the the book's awesome, and she den- she uh, donates a portion of the proceeds. She she talks about this in the podcast, but yeah, to females in sport. But yeah, we won't we won't spoil too much. But Lindsay's awesome. Just uh, had a, had a great conversation, and we're we're excited that uh, this podcast is it's up and running. This is episode four. And we we have lots more to come, lots more guests. And if you're enjoying this, share it with all your buds. Tell just word of mouth is probably the most important thing. So tell a friend. I want to just get my low lowest. Tell voice. your friends. Tell all your buds. Can't go quite that buds. low. I think well, I have a pretty low girl voice, though. You shouldn't be able to go this low. Like <laughs> if you were talking this low, it would it be very weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's. Uh, Let's get right into it. Our conversation with Lindsay Doyle, live on episode four. Today's episode is brought to you by the Flotation Center, an inclusive wellness space that focuses on overall health for all bodies. Founded in 2015 by owner Lindsay McPhee, the Flotation Center has been elevating quality of life through flotation therapy, massage therapy, dietetics, akashic readings, acupuncture, and most recently, their infrared sauna, which we absolutely love. 
This community-centric business is committed to offering access and treatments to all, particularly those who have not experienced the support in traditional clinical settings. We love this space and our approach to business. Book an appointment at www.theflotationcenter.com and follow them on Instagram at The Float Center. Woo! 100 miles an hour and then it was like crash and then they were like, don't know what to do. And then you yeah. saw some people thrive on pivoting and some people just so interesting the ass just fell out of a race yeah. so yeah it's it's interesting to see how people coped and and from artists especially i found like throw your headphones on ladies there we see, go see if you can hear yourself so i'm gonna do my best because i want to be able to make eye contact with you but just <laughs> okay. given where we're positioned i apologize I go like this. if i'm yeah i go off to the left okay <laughs> We can look into the corners then. <laughs> so, Lindsay Doyle, how are you? Pretty good. It's nice out today. This is like the first week, I think, of the year where I've been like, I actually like want to go outside and do things and the sun doesn't shine that much here in the winter and spring. So, today's a good day. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a fake summer anymore. <laughs> no. Like real summer's coming now. I think we're safe now. I think the snow is done. We have a, had a good sign that the summer is actually coming today when we found a, a murdered shrew out in our backyard. So, George, when, when, when the shrews are being caught by a cat, mm -hmm. that means that summer is on its way. That's right. Spring That's is right. here. Hopefully it wasn't too um, <clears throat> bloody. No, no, he, he's, he's a clean killer. <laughs> Keeps it nice and tidy. straight for the jugular, I guess. <laughs> we had a cat that was a decapitator. So oh, yeah. we the heads would be gone all oh, the time. But the lovely. body would be delivered to us. That's and, sweet. Uh, very proud. Yeah, they're, they're so proud of their <laughs> yeah. kills. He just yeah. And he'll kind of roll around beside it as yeah. if to say, like, have you noticed me yeah. here and yeah. what I did for you? Right here. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We give them lots of credit and treats. You got it's impressive. Like you got to give them some credit because things are fast. Yeah, I. Well, I, I think we mentioned it before, but we we. Uh, one morning, I was awakened by uh, Kristen at about six in the morning. She was shaking me. Oh my God, George is eating a rabbit <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> that's alarming, right? Like yes. that's worth and, shaking someone awake <laughs> for. Uh, I wake up, I'm just in my underwear and I run out and George looks up from this half eaten corpse and he, he was, he got it down to the waist. So he ate its head. It's the top part of its body. Ears. <laughs> like it's completely gone, like completely devoured. And the rabbit's the same size as him. And so I go try to shoo him away and I get a shovel and I'm still half asleep and I'm trying to figure out where to bury a dead rabbit or half a rabbit at uh, six in the morning. But anyways. Happy Easter. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, perfect timing. So you're a photographer <laughs> and a writer. Not a wildlife photographer. No. That yeah. was such a natural segue. You just had to go for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. So you, you have been at this. As it says on your bio on your website for 17 years. Yep. Give or take a couple months. How, how did all this start? Let's hear your story. Well, like any, well, I shouldn't say any, but a lot of artists, it's, it was accidental and not accidental in that, you know, I discovered I was good at something. It was something I always liked to do, but I never thought it could be a career. So like a lot of photographers, it starts out as sort of a, a side hustle, a weekend thing. 
and then it gets busier and it gets busier and then you get to that tipping point where you're like oh okay now what i had a, a government job like Kristen did yeah. and um so it was a lot to take into consideration at the time at the time we had two little kids at home too so financially we had to put a lot of thought into it, it wasn't something we just decided overnight for me to to quit my government job and 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 do photography full time so that took years to get to that point so started kind of on the side in 2005 i shot um a wedding actually was my first ever gig like of all uh. things for someone to throw you into yeah um so my friend was like we're getting married i know you like to take pictures we need a photographer if you don't do it we're just going to put disposable cameras on the tables and i was like can't do that. Yeah, I can't have that. You can't for you. do that. Thanks a lot. Now I feel guilty, <laughs> yeah. and um, so I did it. And keep in mind, in two thousand five, we were still on film too, right? So I didn't even have the benefit or the luxury of checking my work as I went. It's like you throw that film in and you just cross your fingers and hope for the best. And I remember at the end of the night, I just gave her like this Ziploc bag full of film. I was like, "Here you go, bye." And I was like, "Out of there." Yeah. So it turned out okay, and 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 I liked it. So I kind of credit her. Uh, my friend Sasha, who lives in Manitoba now, with sort of lighting that fire a little bit. It's so refreshing to be able to have this conversation with you today, but also you have been a, a, such a supportive resource for me just to send a text to or a message to ask you about this decision-making process that I've just gone through. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing with you earlier, it felt like a very lonely process for me, mm -hmm. feeling that there were so few people that understood the world of living in this security and status or whatever you might connect with that role. Mm -hmm. But knowing deep down that your heart is with the arts or that there's something mm -hmm. more true to yourself that's in there. So yeah. I I would love to hear how you managed that emotional decision and transition. It was not easy. And I think, you know, that decision weighed on me for years afterwards too. And it's only been recently where I've finally been able to let all of that go and, and sort of step into this as a full-time career and feel like I belong here. Mm -hmm. um, like I said earlier, like a lot of people still see the arts as a hobby. And while they consume art 24 seven, I mean, people yeah. are home playing video games, watching movies, listening to music, all day, every day, where where do they think that comes from? It's so true. So, and especially the last couple of years, and three of us are all creative people and, yeah. and consumers of art mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, absolutely. More we're, than ever. Yeah. Books, TV shows, like it's all art. Mm -hmm. um, so why are we still, you know, holding people back from following that as, as a viable career path? And that's still happening. Like I'm not mm -hmm. in denial. Like I know people, kids are you know, they are, they are artists, they are artists, you can see it. And they're, they're pushed into directions that people think are, are, you know, quote unquote, safer careers or, or more lucrative careers, because it, I, I don't know why, I don't know why it's still happening. And I am guilty of that too. I felt that way. Um, I am, we're kind of of the same age here. Like when it was time for us to consider university or college, or, you know, when you're around 18 years old, the late nineties or early two thousands, Art wasn't really, you know, there wasn't a lot of people going that direction for their post-secondary. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, it was very computer-based, tech-based. Um, IT was popular. Um, I feel like our little 
you know, slice generational slice was kind of pushed into that trend at yeah. the time. And I felt like, well, that's what everybody else is doing. So I guess I'll go to university. I guess I'll just pick one close to home. I, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And I just set myself up for failure. So I am, I don't know if you knew this, but I've dropped out of university or college I, I kind of lost track. I'd say at least four times mm-hmm. yeah. before I finally, you know, a little bit of pressure from my parents. Can you just go back and get <laughs> something? Just something. <laughs> so I went to an SCC and I got a, a diploma in land use planning. Right. I don't. I didn't want to be mm-hmm. land use planner, but at the time I was like, sure, why not? This is something complete. I can check this box now. Right. I got the certificate and my final mark was a P for pass. Like, I'm an awful (laughs) student. P for photographer. Right. (laughs) Right. So, like, that's not what I wanted to do. But that's what I felt I had to do at the time because that's, you know, a grown-up, mature thing to do. Did you feel inside you that you wanted to do something creative or you just weren't sure in general? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. Like, I am definitely... A late bloomer in that I I never really knew what I wanted to do. Um, there wasn't any like I am envious of people who even as a child or as a teenager or young adult say I want to be a insert career here. Yes, um, that's amazing. Like I never had that, and even still, like I'm a photographer now. That's where I'm supposed to be, but I'm still always like, what else can I do? Like there's I'm I'm just a little bit hyper ambitious. Like I want to try all these things, and I want, but I always want to stay in a creative field and, um, you know, try everything I can try. I find having observed your career, yes, you are a brilliant photographer. You're also an author, an advocate. uh, You're a spokesperson. You're now here podcasting. I see the, the thread through all of those things. Yes, of course, there's that tangible creativity, but you're, you're a storyteller you 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 showcase other people's work and stories and backgrounds and that that skill is something really hard to identify especially at a young age to say my thing or my creative thing even is mm-hmm. to offer platform to others like that doesn't really fit into no. a job description no i see your photography and your writing as kind of the mechanism to tell yeah. those stories i don't know if you feel that way yeah but, i agree with that yeah yeah i agree with that and that's something yeah that i'm still exploring is I think you know my I guess what my heart is in fairness and when I see you know inequities or inequalities out there or people not being treated fairly it makes me want to help or fix it or what can I do what what skills do I have um, through visual storytelling or writing to um, help fix this problem whatever the problem may be and you know common themes through my work are Women's rights, obviously, that's probably 80% of what I do. Um, And, you know, most recently, sports and focusing on, um, you know, fairness in uh, between the genders in sports. How has having two sons (laughs) (laughs) impacted that theme of your work? Yeah, it's ironic, isn't it? Well, maybe, maybe not. It it could be very intentional to... Mm -hmm. As a lesson, or I, I don't know, I'd love to hear more about that. It is interesting, and it, it, it's kind of funny how the universe gives you what you need. And I don't know, I grew up, like I said, in the in the 80s and 90s when girls just literally weren't allowed to do some of the things that boys were allowed to do. I remember wanting to play baseball because my older brother played baseball, and everyone's like, 
can't do that. You just can't. You just can't. And I, I mean, you just accept it, right? You're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then it's not because I just didn't have anyone to fight for me. I think they would have let me play if someone was willing to fight for me. But that just wasn't common back then. Like, you just like, that's just the way it is. And so my whole life, I grew up with a lot of that's just the way it is. And it wasn't until I was older where I was like, well, I don't think it needs to be that way. So my I advocate for for girls and women. But then I look at my boys and I'm like, well, I think there's a lot that you two can learn from what I do as well. And I make sure that they see what I do. And sometimes I even bring them with me if it makes sense. And I remember bringing them on some of my shoots when I was shooting a lot of athletes and and female coaches and things like that. And I remember bringing, I can't remember which one, one of my boys to a volleyball game. They had never, and and they said to me afterwards, I didn't even know that girls played volleyball at all. Like at all. So I'm like, oh my God, like how to, like what terrible parenting that I didn't Uh like expose my boys to, you know, the fact that, yeah, just because you play soccer or volleyball or whatever, with boys and that's all you see i can't believe i didn't show you that girls do it too do you know yeah, what i mean so yeah. it's just like these eye-opening experiences so every time and i mean they're in the public school system they go on the bus they hear all this shit like they come home with stuff and i'm like oh my god i can't believe like this is your life and you know sometimes <laughs> i take them as little teaching moments to be like okay so let's talk about this that wasn't fair this is the way i think you know So I do, you know, I don't force on them what I think they should think, but I I definitely am careful to show them what's out there and teach them to think for themselves and to treat everybody with respect, regardless of what gender they are. So you have interviewed a number of women Mm -hmm. and a lot of their stories are captured through photography and through what I imagine just organic conversation with them in Mm -hmm. your book. Were there any common themes that came up? And and it seemed like the demographic were more our age, so mm-hmm. we'll say adults. Yep. But I know you've worked a lot with young girls in sport and getting mm-hmm. them access to sport even. Mm-hmm. What are the common trends or themes from those stories? Yeah, it's funny. I think when I first started, so a lot of my projects or my work comes from um, me being emotional about something. So I recognize that about myself. When I get angry or upset about something, I tend to do good work out of that. And I think that's an an artist thing is where you get your inspiration from, or sometimes it's from humor or um, satire or the news or, you know, it could be from random places. And for me, I recognize it comes from a place of anger. So when it started in this current project that I just finished up, started in 2018 during the Olympics, the Winter Olympics that year. And I remember watching it on TV and being like, oh, that's awesome. Like they're showing like 50-50 like men's and women's events. And I'm like, they should do that all the time. And then I'm just sitting there like, oh, why don't they do that all the time? Well, I could do that more. Like I have the ability to show more and and use my platform to start showing off people who I think are doing cool things out there. So I like put it out there one night. I was like, if anyone is interested in um, participating in this project, I have this idea to focus on adult women in sport because at the time I felt like there was other people focusing on kids sport and, um, you know, particularly with girls. And and I felt like this demographic of, and this is probably selfish, but my age um, and I'm in my 40s, I just felt like they weren't getting any recognition for what they were doing out there. And I have a lot of friends who are 
in sports, and I think you probably do too, who are out there like doing really cool things, mm-hmm. winning awards, winning championships, and like with very, very little recognition. And I was like, well, that's not fair. So I'm going to start doing that. And I just like, I don't even think about it. I just do it. And then all of a sudden I like brought this massive project on myself and I went, oh shit, like what have I done? So I had to like kind of like, you know, put some boundaries around it and get some, you know, something in place. But at first I wanted to focus on athletes and then coaches started coming, um, messaging me and volunteers and like parents. And they're like, well, I want to be involved. I want to be involved. And I'm like, okay, the scope of this just got bigger. But that's good because, you know, there's there's room for everyone. And I wanted to show that there was room for everyone in sport, regardless of how old you are. Like your career, your sports career doesn't have to end at 14, 16, 18, whatever the, you know, typical, you know, peak competition age is in your sport. And it does vary. It can be 14. It can be 25. But then what do we just what do we do after that? Do we all just go home and have babies and, and just right. work for the rest of our lives? Like, no. Um, so I'm probably getting off topic here a little bit, but that's kind yeah. of like how it all came about is like me being pissed off, me selfishly wanting to show off my friends and be like, hey, everybody, like, look over here. Like this woman just won like this big thing and nobody went and it wasn't in the paper and um, nobody congratulated her. So I'm going to do that. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. How do you feel? You were an athlete growing up, right? Yeah, but sports. like I did a lot of things, but I wasn't, I was one of those people who was good at a lot of things, but not great at any one thing. Um, I grew up in Bootler's Point and this is where, this is where I had to laugh at your story, Kristen, growing up in Clarence. I'm like, yeah, totally. That's how I grew up too. <laughs> we had a it wasn't, dump. It wasn't, no. <laughs> it wasn't, a fr- it wasn't farm. It was fishing. Yeah. So, but we had a, we had a convenience store. Oh, well, you were in the metropolis. I know. So we could take the tracks down to the convenience store and that would be like, you know, the highlight of the day, yeah. but very, very small village, not even, not a town, not even close to a town. Um, there was nothing really to do there except kind of hang out and get in trouble a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? So my mom was really good at getting my brother and I involved in um, sports or any like anything we wanted to do. She's like, I'll sign you up. So I took tennis, swimming, gymnastics, soccer, um, volleyball, track and field, like you name it, like I did it. And I was okay at all of that. And I, but then you get especially as a girl, but for the boys too, you get to be like that 13, 14, 15 age. And that's a tough age, right? This is when you have to decide like, what are my, you know, teenage priorities here? Is it Mm -hmm. sports that my mom has to keep driving me to, or do I want to start hanging out with my friends and doing this? So it's a really critical age. It's like a tipping point. Like where are we going to go here? Right. And it could have gone either way for me. Um, so you can interpret that however, <laughs> but, uh, like I said, my mom was really good. I mean, we didn't even have like, we didn't have grocery store, anything here. Like we had to drive into the city for everything. So I, I can't even tell you how many kilometers they put on their car driving my brother and I around. So, but yeah, we did a little bit of everything, but then well, like puberty hits and you're like, Oh, I'm not wearing a bathing suit anymore. <laughs> right. I'm not putting on this. Let's gymnastic. reevaluate yeah, this. I'm not wearing that anymore. <laughs> so you tend to like just drop out. Right. Oh, for sure. And I feel like I played a lot of sports growing up as well. And at the time you're, you're doing it because it's fun and you're hanging out with your friends. Mm -hmm. And as I got 
on to other things in my life and especially becoming a musician, I realized that all the values and work ethic and just the way I carry myself comes from what I learned in playing sport. Yeah. And like, I'm going to practice playing guitar today for six hours because I knew that when I was playing basketball, if I'm not practicing, I'm not going to be as good as mm -hmm. the, the next guy. So I got to go put in the work mm -hmm. and the exact same values carried over to playing music. Yeah, there's a lot of transferable skills that um, you can take from sport into your, you know, your career or your real life. And even, you know, the teamwork and the overcoming failure and learning how yeah. to deal with winning and losing and, you know, um, those skills are all really, really important to learn at a young age because I can I can still see it too carried over into my adulthood. So like I wouldn't change any of that. Yeah, winning and losing is very important to learn. Oh man, and and uh, you know when you're in business for yourself, man, there's a lot of losing. <laughs> there is a lot of rejection. Oh, there's man. a little caution wing coming <laughs> yeah. over my way, but yeah. oh rejection, and I think uh, that's something. We can talk about rejection if you want, because I've gotten really good at it. And I think a lot of people don't see that. Yeah. Um. They just see, like, we choose what we want people to see, right? That's the beauty and the, the beast of social media. It's yeah. like, it's curated, right? So I tend to only show the good stuff. Every once in a while, I'll throw in, like, some reality here. But yeah. people don't realize how hard this is, how how many hours, how many weeks, years, like, it's endless. You don't just shut it off at the end of the day. It consumes you. And it's really hard on the heart a lot of times. Like the rejection, I always joke, like I could wallpaper my office with my rejection letters. Yeah. But, you know. Well, every famous person who made it in the creative sphere has a story about rejection. Mm -hmm. And like Stephen King, who maybe is the most famous author mm -hmm. of all time apparently had a pile of rejection letters that was so big he couldn't lift it. Right. Like, and, and I think his, he threw away um, a draft of Carrie. Yeah. And his wife found it in the garbage can. And, and that uh, was kind of, that was his first big one, right? Yeah. I'm probably messing something up there. No, <laughs> no, no. There's, uh, I, there's, I, that sounds kind of familiar to me, but it's true. And I mean, to me, I look at a stack of rejection letters now and I'm like, look how many times I tried. Look, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, so I'm great. proud of myself now. But I mean, that takes time too, like, because those first ones, those first, you know, one, two, five are like, you think that's it. Like, you're like, this is it. And you focus on those so much more than your 25 successes. So mm -hmm. you'll have all of these things going your way and get that one rejection. And that's what you dwell on and sit with for so long. Oh, 100%. And like, this is how I feel about social media, too, is that it's it's great. Um, but at the same time, it's dangerous. You know, you can get 100 great comments on something and you get that one that's just just enough to be like, oh, man. stings a little yeah, bit. Ouch. Yeah. Um, so nobody's immune to that. And I, that that pisses me off. But that's just something that that's not going to go away. Like that's if it's not social media, it's going to come from somewhere else. Right. So yeah. to and that's that's what experience gets you to is like you can't you can't buy experience. You can't train for that. Like it's just something. So just to be persistent and like just keep getting up and try again um and and that will become less painful 
but it, it still hurts. It's exposure therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exposing yeah. yourself so to, to the hurt. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, eventually something's got to stick, right? Yeah. Like you keep applying for things or you keep trying and, and eventually something, something's got to work. Well, for I've it. always tried to, whether I'm applying to a grant or mm-hmm. trying to get a gig or whatever it may be, after not getting what I want, I try to figure out what it is I can learn from that experience. Mm-hmm. And that might even be writing them directly mm-hmm. and asking, like, where did hey, I go wrong? Yeah. What can I do better? Like, people are always willing to give feedback, too. Yeah. And especially, well, grant writing, for example, like they have a list of feedback. And if you request it, they'll send it to you. And, yeah. But yeah, and for, for any aspect of, in the creative world, I think people are, People do want to help all the time. It's yeah. just it's just so competitive. Like it's so competitive and you're right about the feedback thing. I think it's that's terrifying too. Like I remember apply, applying for a grant and I find a lot of my work doesn't fit in a lot of places, so I'm often rejected because I'm not um often not doing art projects. I'm not really I'm a bit of a writer, but I'm not, you know, a writer in the typical sense yeah. and um and I'm not um, I'm not an athlete or I don't belong to an organization or anything. So I don't often fit in. So I get rejected a lot. So but when you do get feedback, even like it's still hard to read. And often like what I find, though, too, is it's not personal. Like it's not nobody's rejecting you. Yeah. They're not saying we don't want you. They're saying for this particular thing, this person was a better fit or this, you know, it's not. It's not anything like against your skills or your abilities or anything like that. It's just everybody wants, you know, what is a good fit for them. And you can't be a good fit for everybody. I was just listening to a podcast recently. I think his name's Phil Rothman. I I think I'm getting that right. And he was one of the original writers for Everybody Loves Raymond, Mm -hmm. which was in its time a wildly successful TV show. And he was saying how after that show, he spent 10 years trying to create another TV show And with no success from your traditional production companies and ultimately ended up making his own TV show, which was part of his advice in that if you can't find the right fit, then create it yourself, which I thought was brilliant. But it also shed light on here is an example of someone who has achieved Mm -hmm. their ultimate dream, more or less, or those were his words. Mm -hmm. And when that time finished for that particular project, he was at square one again. And yeah. you think, how can that be? Yep. Because I'm at much less than where he's starting yeah. from. And so, yeah, you're grappling with reality and yep. how does this apply to my life? And Mike and I often talk about mindset and how critical that is in pursuing a life in mm-hmm. the arts. Um, do you have a a practice in that or a, a, a mantra or something oh. to lean on if necessary? Well, I do, you know, there's two things that I always keep in mind. And that's one thing is that rejection is redirection. I always tell myself that it's not a failure. It's a nope, not that way. Go this way. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, too, and this is a quote, um, and I'm not a quote person like I'm not like one of those people. I don't do the mood boards and the quotes and all that too. But, um, and I think it's by Henry Ford and it's that um, a candle loses nothing by lighting other candles Mm -hmm. or I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. So um, to use your skills to, to, you know, raise the tide to, to lift all the ships, right? Um, If you can lift your whole industry somehow, it benefits everybody. So you can't do it alone you have to light other people's candles to like get everybody where they should be. So those are the two things I always keep in mind 
Um, Did that answer your yeah, question? Yeah, and it's so brilliant, too, because I think it speaks to even the gesture of you leaving the corporate world, like mm-hmm. I've just done, unintended consequence, but hearing from people that are perhaps inspired by that or see it as an act of courage, that was not my selfish <laughs> reason for mm-hmm. doing this, but no. it's so rewarding to think that you... <laughs> You've made someone else feel maybe comfortable or seen, but also it it helps build that general social permission yeah. to pursue this lifestyle. It's yeah. legitimate. It's mm-hmm. it, it feels like and, and back to sports, it's there's that parallel there where it feels like such a risky choice that it's touted as a dream mm-hmm. more than some of these other nine to five or traditional jobs when like why is that i don't know and i still i mean even after all this time i still hear the digs every once in a while you know like oh you know must be nice you get to do this or um oh you, like insinuating that my job is easy or that i get to go and shoot all this fun stuff and you probably hear this a lot too with music like it's not glamorous like it's fun and it's it's my my whole heart my whole soul is in it but it's not glamorous like it's painful and it's sweaty and it's and you put in more work than a doctor like (laughs) the hours of work i put in in a week you don't want to know what your hourly rate is yeah i make 30 cents an hour (laughs) that's advice i was given like do not track your hours because you will like you're saying make 30 cents and you don't want to know that about yourself (laughs) and you kind of have to shut out like you have to kind of make your own rules and you can't you can take other people's advice with a grain of salt but what works for one person doesn't work for somebody else so like for some people who say oh i don't check my email after five or i don't check my email after six i'm like if i didn't do that do you know how much work i would lose because my clients are typically the nine to five people and they're you know messaging me at six seven eight nine o'clock at night or on the weekends like if I don't respond, um, I could lose that job. So, yes, I understand that you have to set boundaries, but I, I have to also do what works for me. And if you don't know what works for me, then, you know, thank you, but but no thank you. Um, so I think you have to you have to really monitor yourself and your own boundaries and your your, you know, how you feel physically and how you feel emotionally. And that's how you learn to to set your own boundaries. I could I could work 100 hours a week and be perfectly happy. Mm-hmm. That's I would love that. Like I would never sleep. Like I need someone to be like, you know, bedtime, like let's go and I've had nights like that, right? Um but that's my happy place. That's what I want to do. Um so but then another person might be like, "Oh, you know, I have to cap it at, you know, 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week or 40 hours a week and and some weeks there's zero, you know? Like you have to work when there's work, too. You can't yeah. um you can't be going full tilt all the time. We, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the middle ground artist and it's where you're, you're surpassed just trying to figure things out. And so you're, you're at a point where you have a career, but you're not, um, you're not Robert Frank or you're, <laughs> you're not the killers. You're, you're surviving. Yeah. And that most people who are professional artists in, in, in every sense uh, exist there. Mm-hmm. But the average person doesn't necessarily understand and respect that. They they respect the people who've made it past yeah, a certain point. That one percent. And I just feel like it's uh it's 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 a place where I, w- I wish more people could understand that mm-hmm. it's it's a legitimate career. And yeah. and just like there's gonna be some musicians who just care about <laughs> 
getting drunk, playing shows and trying to, yeah. trying to hook up with people, you know, like there's yep. going to be that person, but there's, yeah. al- there's also going to be a dentist with a cocaine addiction who, uh, <laughs> yeah. who drives a BMW to try to look yeah. cool and yeah. whatever. Like there's, there's people who are <laughs> amazing at their job in every, every imaginable career. Mm-hmm. And I feel the artist's in the in the middle ground don't get the respect that they do and mm-hmm. i guess ultimately with this podcast i would like to just kind of educate people on what what that is and that gray area yeah yeah like i, I feel like yeah. we're probably all in a similar position mm-hmm. right here and i don't know what if you have a vision in your eyes of what um making it is if if maybe you're already there maybe you've already reached that um. yeah that's a great question and i think you know it comes down to how do you define success and everybody defines that differently um is it money is it you know a status you've reached or is it you know achieving a, a particular award or, or that and the problem with that is though when you work for yourself or when you're an artist there's no end like there's no there's no ceiling. And this is a blessing and a curse, right? Like when you're working, you know, at your office job, you get to shut your computer off at the end of the day, go home and and relax and then not think about it until, you know, eight or nine o'clock the next morning. It's not like that with us. Like you're yeah. always thinking, what's next? How How can I improve? How can I get bigger if that's your goal? Or how can I get better or improve my craft? And there's no end. And that's kind of it can be dangerous if you're fanatical or if you're obsessive or, you know, whatever your personality is. But um, for the most part, you know, it's kind of like a, you got to treat it like a a marathon almost, like create a sustainable career and not, you know, just burn out, like reach something and then burn yourself out and and not be able to pick it up again. So I, and I think this is my age kicking in a bit too, is that I've, I've kind of learned to slow down a bit to go farther and and pace myself and not be fanatical about reaching the next whatever the level is or the goal is and because those things aren't even real like they're they're not real like if there's an award i'm after this year next year it could not exist cease to exist exactly yeah. so there's too many variables to get hung up on those whatever those steps you need are like in in the arts like there's it's so I don't know, it's just constantly evolving. And I feel like you do have to, I'm a big fan of evolving. Like you can't just pick one thing and stay there forever because people will, you know, either forget about you or you'll just lose interest or um, everyone will just, you know, pass you. Um, so you have to be constantly kind of looking to the future. But if you're if you're stuck in the future, you, you can't be present either. Mm-hmm. So it's this real like tough balance. So this whole middle ground gray area is, is, you know, is is nice because you're you're there like you're at this point you're not a beginner anymore. You you don't feel like you're struggling to to make a name for yourself, but you're also kind of thinking, how do I stay here? Do I want to stay here? Cause it's comfy here too, right? Yeah. Like this is a nice, happy little place here. Not uh, not making not problematic. I'm not you know yeah. it works. I know it works. Like this, mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing right now, this is fine. This is comfortable, but. As an artist, I think all of us have this mindset of like, okay, what's next? Like, what's next? Always thinking ahead. What can I do next? How can I get better? Who can who can I meet? Who can I talk yeah. to? Like, 
Um, so it's it's this weird balance. But yeah, it's it's a perfectly um, respectable place to be. Is just a working artist. Like there's there's no shame in that. There's no, you know, it's it's a happy place to be. This is so relatable listening to what you're saying because I find we have been guilty of not celebrating our own wins for Mm -hmm. so long for that very reason in that I've achieved something. Yes, I'm proud of it and I feel good about it and you're you're happy Mm -hmm. and it doesn't slip into a dark place necessarily, but it immediately goes into how do I recreate this? Yeah. Either in the same way or a new way. And I don't know if that's sort of an addiction to the exhilaration of it Mm -hmm. or if it's coming from a place of having to prove yourself or feeling like you do a little bit more than most because of our Mm -hmm. type of work that we do that Mm -hmm. we were just talking about. But it's it's certainly something that leaving a corporate job that has so much structure and rigidness and uh, deadlines, safety, safety, yeah. Your brain gets comfortable in knowing what those expectations are. Mm-hmm. And while we think that might feel good, mm-hmm. it's not really natural. There's no growth in it. Yeah. But I also want to be mindful in making this change that I'm not recreating what I've come from, but just painting or mm-hmm. writing or you yeah. know pursue. I don't want to apply all of those same rules and rigidness just to a different output. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to be mindful as well of designing my day. Yeah. And while 100 hours a week sounds like a lot, yeah, it it's different. So yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, I'm still, I'm choosing. I'm making the decision to work those 100 hours a week yeah. or 10 hours a week, whatever the case might be. Yeah. So I, like I feel really exhilarated by that idea. I know yeah. that I'll probably coast in this honeymoon phase of a yeah. recent change, but yeah. I'm curious how... How did you manage a, designing your your day to day, and did that take a little bit of experimenting before you settled on something? Yeah, and I I can't say I have that figured out. Um, I have learned what to say yes to and what to say no to from other people, but left to my own devices, I would work when I felt like working, and I would not work when I felt like not working, and that's the best feeling ever is that oh if i i look at my calendar i don't have any deadlines today or even tomorrow you know what um i don't really get weekends because i work most weekends i'm going to take this tuesday morning off and i'm going to do nothing or i'm going to go back to bed and that's you feel so guilty about that sometimes yeah. because you know the world is set up for the 9 to 5 kind of thing right so anytime if i decide oh i'm going to have a shower at 1 in the afternoon you almost feel guilty about that cuz you're like I'm supposed to have a shower in the morning. Yeah. You know, this isn't how it's supposed, <laughs> I'm supposed to go. supposed to be ready right now. I'm supposed now. to be ready. Or like if I decide, you know what, I'm going to do something. I'm going to change my schedule today. I was planning to do this, but now I don't feel like it. So now I'm going to do this. And that's like the beautiful thing about this whole thing is is I get to make the rules. And the scariest thing about this whole thing is I get to make the rules. Because do I <laughs> yeah. like trust myself? Because I have a hyper brain um, and I can just, you know, be off doing this thing. And I'm like, oh, no. That looks good now. I'm going to go do that for a while. And then I'll come back full circle be like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to like send that email like yesterday. Whoops. Or so it's it's very, very hard to rein yourself in. But as long as you're meeting all your own expectations or your clients expectations or 
um, you know, deadlines, then who cares how you got there? Um, and that's one of the things I love is that if I'm not feeling like that today, I'm not going to do that today. If I feel like doing double time tomorrow, I'm going to do double time tomorrow. And nobody gets to tell me that I'm doing that wrong. So, I think that speaks to the gray area as mm-hmm. well in that having that level of autonomy, I, I don't know if there's envy or dismisunderstanding from onlookers, but yeah. I think that's where some of the yeah. the judgment or maybe assumption comes in that like your life is easier or you have all of this free time yeah. and Yo, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Like I'll go like if I decide to get groceries at nine o'clock in the morning um, and I happen to tell somebody that who is at work at the office miserable at nine o'clock in the morning and they say, oh, it must be nice. Yes. I'm like, well, it is, but I'm going to work until 10 o'clock tonight. And you didn't know that. So exactly. How, you know, you can just. And and what we show on social media or how how the perception of our lives might look. We're not talking about the marketing and emails and phone calls and all of the behind the scenes, like the painstaking edits that go into making a song in your case, Mike, and we're all authors here. Mm -hmm. So we have this flashy book to show at the Mm -hmm. end of a few years Mm -hmm. of work that is it's brilliant. You're you're excited about it. Yeah. The level of intensity and hours and detail that went into that project that no one can see or appreciate is just endless, really. I know. That's why I have nothing but respect. Anytime someone makes a book, for example, and we'll just use that as an example because we have that in common. But if someone, it could be like, you know, a tiniest little like book or this massive, beautiful coffee table book. And I'm like, I have the same amount of respect for you as I do for you because you did it and I know how hard that was that was an intense project and it takes you know the fastest you could ever do that is like a year at the most that's why people don't do it like it's hard as hell like so the respect you know however you got there who cares like and it comes back to like being able to celebrate with yourself because you guys are lucky you have each other um but for a lot of people who are literally on their own and it's very low it can be very very lonely and you don't have that boss or the co-workers to be like good job or um have you tried this or let me give you some advice or can i bounce ideas off you like we typically don't have that so it's a very lonely very difficult place to be and it's so easy to talk yourself out of something um because all it takes is that one little comment from someone like oh you're doing that or like just the way they say and you're like well not anymore (laughs) (laughs) shattered i was um, there's this awesome book by David Usher. You probably know it called Let the Elephants Run. Do you know this book? I think we have that book, but I've not read it. It so. is so good. It's like, for me, it's like the Bible of creativity. And um, Mike, you talked about in one of your other episodes about not being able to read music, right? Yeah. He can't read music either. Okay. And I was like, first of all, like blown away by like reading that line in the book. But he talks about um, the herd mentality. And this is so funny. And it's so true is that um, if you're, if you're like, I'll use the word black sheep of your family, for example, a lot of us are, um, there's, there's this notion that the herd wants to protect all its members, right? And when you have this one who starts to veer off the path a little bit, their instinct is to bring it back. And they're just doing oh, that yeah. to try to protect you and, and the safety of the herd, right? Mm-hmm. So his suggestion is that if you're, you know, the little black sheep who tends to wander mm-hmm. off and go your own way and do your own thing. And if you're a creative person, stop telling people your ideas until after they are firmly in motion. 
And that's something that I have kept in my head for years since I read this book because it's true because, and you guys probably are the same way, like there's a million ideas going on in here on any given day. And some of them seem like a good idea at the time. Then the next day you're like, oh, that was stupid. (laughs) Or like something you thought was stupid. The next day you're like, you know what? That was a really good idea. I should do something about that. And you get excited and you want to tell somebody. And then all it takes is that one little person going, oh, yeah, oh. to put <laughs> the flame like, out. like the look on their face or something. You're like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't know what I was thinking. So um, there's this a lot of just shutting up that I've learned to do is that if I have a really good idea or what I think is a really good idea, I'm not telling anybody until I'm confident that I'm actually going to do it and follow through with it. And there's nothing they can do about it now. So if you have like people in your life who are I don't even call them negative, but they're just the realists yeah. um, and they're trying to like bring you back into the herd because it's safe here like mm-hmm. come on honey don't 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 be running over there that's a little too close to the edge you know <laughs> yeah um, the electric fence is just steps <laughs> right? away Kristen the cow like <laughs> off, <laughs> off to this side um just you know so i've learned to like when to shut up when to speak up and when to shut up are two things that i like have always always have in my head too like sometimes you need to speak up and sometimes you just need to shut up and do your own thing but it's hard when you don't have like someone close to you to bounce those ideas off us because nobody cares about your work the way you do no no i don't care like what anybody says nobody cares like you do so don't expect them to and it's you're absolutely right i i feel so grateful to have a creative partner for all of the ideas part of thing Mm -hmm. but also to mike has been in this world much longer than i have and i often go to him for more of the emotional support Mm -hmm. than anything and just to understand like how do you deal with rejection how yeah. do you deal with judgment or those s- snide comments that every yeah. so often because he knows up what and, that feels like he too. knows exactly what it feels yeah. like and he's managed it in a way that he's still here and mm-hmm. he's kept going so there's something to that and per- maybe that looks different for everyone what our coping mechanisms might be i'll call them yeah but it's it exists. It has to exist in some way yeah so i don't know if you have a a, a go-to well, I was going to say one thing. I, I find it strange that people do comment on other people's decisions to do something without understanding your feelings and emotions and how you're attached to something. Like, how can you say, like, oh, I wouldn't do that? Like, Especially when you're not even in that business. Yeah, or, like, yeah. A, a whatever, a nurse or someone saying, well, I, I don't know if I would do that. And well, well <laughs> obviously you wouldn't like you have a different job and yeah. that's like, yeah. you don't think the same ways I do. Mm-hmm. You don't react to situations the same ways I do. Like it's, it just, just boggles my mind that people are willing to offer their opinions I know. when like, I'm not going to say, well, I wouldn't stitch that person like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have given them that medication, but okay. (laughs) But yeah, it it is interesting. And that is unfortunately the world that we live in. So, and, but the, the sad part about that is that it, it might hold you back from saying what you want to say or or sharing what you want to share because, you know, so-and-so nurse down the street might not like it. So like, what is that? Like, why do we do that? And so you choose not to for all of the people that might connect with it and find support and meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And those those nuggets of ideas, I, I, like I've never had a fully conceptualized project, I don't think. I mean, you you might think you do in the beginning and then it evolves into mm-hmm. something else. And it sounds like with your book even, like I see this gap, I see this problem through 
watching the Olympics and this inequality. I don't know. At that time, did you know, I want this to be a book and I want to interview these people? And yeah. So had that thought or idea been discouraged at that juncture, this book that's helped so many and shed light on this cause wouldn't have existed. That's right. And I mean, let's face it, not to stereotype artists, but we we are a little bit on the sensitive side. And because our work is so personal to us, like every time you make a painting or every time you write a song, like that's you on the canvas or, or, you know, um, that's you. And for someone to not like it, like how dare they? Um, That's because that's, me on yeah. that screen it feels like, like someone saying i don't like you it feels very mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. um so you can't you know you can't hide you're not this is not a, a team project for most of us this is just us and us showing what we have created or what we're capable of and we might think it's the best thing we ever did and then all it takes is that like one you know like or like you know comment like i don't get it <laughs> or like and that's fine and yeah everyone's entitled to their opinion and and you have to that will happen like i think that's um holds people back yeah is that fear of people not liking what you do and then eventually you just learn well i don't like everything so how can i expect everyone to like me too like i'm sure mike you like a lot of you have a lot of respect for different kinds of music doesn't mean you're ever going to make those kinds of music yeah for sure like and and I was just thinking off, uh, I think it was a Kurt Vonnegut quote, but he said that his biggest mistake in uh, his early career was writing for everybody, like writing yeah. a book with everyone in mind. And then he started writing with one person in mind. Like, yeah. I don't know if he pictured one actual person and yeah. or he created this, whatever, a, a person who would fall into these categories, but he wrote his books for this this one person and then that he knew that this one person would like it more than anything else in the world yep and a lot of other people wouldn't and that's fine yeah live with it that's a that's a really good lesson in there like you can't please everybody yeah but you can please yourself so you should always create work that you like i think um if i'm not happy with it then you know nobody sees it but if i if it's something i love and like two other people like it it's still a success to me not everybody has to get it this is a question when i was doing my thesis research i asked of the artists that i interviewed so i was looking to explore more deeply the artist thing is what i called it so Mm -hmm. just kind of that place within you that you know i'm a creative person or i have this motivation ambitious to create something but I specifically wanted to know about the I'll say creative integrity or authenticity in that of course we want to make things that we as the creator connects with it's meaningful Mm -hmm. and ultimately maybe it shouldn't matter how it's received or what other people think about it Mm -hmm. however if we want to be if this is our livelihood and how we earn money Mm -hmm. I I asked, I don't want to assume, but I, I wanted to know of people, how how aware are you of that? Mm-hmm. If you know that if I do uh, a particular portrait in this style and they seem to have been selling well, mm-hmm. will I continue to use that filter or mm-hmm. that background or whatever the case might be? For me, is it a particular palette? For Mike, is it a 
a certain rhythm or length of song that, okay, people are buying this, so I'm going to do more of it because I have to buy groceries next week. Yeah. And does that feel like you're selling out or you're compromising yeah. anything? How does that all fit into your world? Yeah, that's a very real thing. Um, if I only created for myself, I... I would be starving probably right yeah. now. So um, the way I treat it is that when I'm doing client work, if I'm hired by a client to do something specific for them, I'm I'm there to serve them. And it is my job as a service provider to get the information from them. What do you want? What are you expecting? Um, and we do a lot of talking up front. So I can be sure that what I'm going to give them at the end of the day is what they were expecting and what they want. That's important to me. Um, my style obviously will be in that work. I can't avoid that because that's all I know how to do. But um, if someone hires you, if you're being commissioned to do something, you better give them what they want because mm -hmm. they are the client, like they're your customer. And if you're not serving your customers and they're paying you, then you failed. So I take that very seriously. If someone's hiring me, they're my boss. That makes sense. Yeah. And I know that you have had opportunities strictly for creativity because mm -hmm. you and I have worked together mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah. We've, you've photographed me in my bathtub. Yep. And <laughs> those photos ended up in a magazine. Yeah. So that was really cool too. And it, yeah. there was no financial reward no. for that. No. But I find those projects necessary to continue the financially rewarding projects yep. as well. They kind of work in yeah. harmony in some way. So it comes down to um, this whole working for free thing, which is, is interesting. And I'm sure we've all experienced this as an expectation to work for free or um, someone offering you exposure in terms for free work. That happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times your instinct is to say no. And I read it in forums all the time saying, don't do anything for free. Don't do anything for free. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I do not subscribe to that idea. I work for free all the time. And it doesn't mean I'm not getting something in return. If I feel a connection to a request um, or a collaboration or someone needs my help and I'm the only one who can do it right now, I'm going to say yes. Mm -hmm. I'm a yes person. I I really believe in um, sharing your skills and um, supporting other people, as long as it makes sense to you, um, there are there's always room for free work. And I see free work as advertising a lot of times. Um, so if you really want to talk business, um, why would I pay for an advertisement in a newspaper when I could go do a shoot for free, which will cost me the same amount, um, and maybe they'll share it with someone who will become a future client. Um, yeah, such so, a great example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no rules. You have, like, again, comes back to what works for you. And there is room in my life and my schedule for collaborations and working for free because you just never know. And I think some of my best relationships or my best collaborations have come from taking a chance on saying yes. Um, I'm not, unless it's like blatantly, hey, uh, copy paste, hello, photographer, uh, we need something for this event. And uh, can you help us? It'll be good for your exposure. No. Mm -hmm. Thank you for telling me not. what's good for me. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, I'm fully exposed at the time and I don't <laughs> need, uh, there, I can't get any more exposed. So no, thank you. But, you know, if someone, um, you know, is like, hey, I really want to work with you. I got this cool idea and I think it could be really fun. Yeah. 
Like, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. How, Mike, what's the exposure conversation been like for you? (laughs) Because I know even when we met, it was me coming to you like, I'm kind of in a pickle. Well, this is the reason we're doing this podcast, the reason we're married, the reason we own a house. It's because I I did something for exposure. (laughs) Um, But I guess for me, uh, I'm at a stage now where... We don't really get asked to do something for free just because we reach kind of a level where people, we've won some awards and, you know, had some successes. So if if it's the right thing, if we, we, we certainly will. We're not against it, but I guess we just don't get as many requests just because it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, we, we we're, at a, we're at a stage where, I don't know, people know better maybe. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's real. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like... If like a charity was asking us, hey, can you can you play? Uh, we're raising money for something. If it's something that makes sense, like we're, I'm not trying to say we're above doing doing something for free. But you can't say yes to everything, right? Yeah, exactly. Like so, you have to kind of pick and choose um, what makes sense for you and what yeah. you know what pulls at your heartstrings. Like if there's a certain charity, uh, you know, like I don't know. SPCA or yeah. like you know mm-hmm. Orange Cats are us and yeah. uh, you're like I'll do anything. For <laughs> I think we'll start that charity, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and then you'd be like, yeah, absolutely, I'll go do that. So there's certain things that like I think when when you know you know, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's nice having that kind of currency. Mm-hmm. I, like I'm often asked to donate a piece of artwork for ch- purposes of charity and and raising money, and I I like that I have something to offer other than yeah. just. A twenty, or it could <laughs> yeah. just feels so much more personal. Exactly. And sure, there's the exposure, and that's n- hardly ever the reason behind it. Yeah. Uh, the motivation is more knowing that you can help this cause that you would like to help, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find more, I really enjoy collaborating. Mm-hmm. So no, there's maybe not that financial income, but the creative currency yeah. is immeasurable from other. Th- projects that you might do just on your own it is and i i kind of like you know absorb a lot of energy from other creative people and because you can get so like when you're doing your own thing and your own medium and you're so focused and like that's all you see your social media i just see photographer photography you know and then like sometimes maybe a song will come on and i'll be like oh like boom and like something will go off in my head or like i'll see someone painting and i'll be like oh you know i never seeing those colors together before like it could be something as little as that so or reading for me is a big one too because um I, I love to read and I get a lot of you know visuals from from what I read and uh so you have to like cross pollinate I guess to keep you know your own creative energy going and and that comes from other people and being open to um you know learning I guess from other people different ages and different um styles and like there's always something you can learn and take away from anything mm-hmm. so i always keep that in mind like before when your instinct is like say no i'm like okay just wait a second maybe there's something cool here maybe i'll like get to meet so and so or hit it off with 
someone I didn't think I would or like you, you just never know. We like to say there's a good chance you might get a good cheeseburger out of the deal. Right. You get fed <laughs> yeah, a lot. You never know. Everybody wants to feed you. And I'm like, this is so like sometimes I'll come out of a photo shoot and someone will like slip me a jar of jam or something. Yeah. And I'm like, so Nova Scotia, right? Yeah. Or some seeds for yeah. my garden. Yeah, that's not happening in LA, I don't think. <laughs> no, no, no. So it's funny. And like sometimes I'll, you know, do someone a favor and then I'll look at and there'll be like six beer on my step the next yeah. morning. I'll be like, yes, score. Yeah. Like yeah. that makes me super happy. So yeah, and it's those more personal exchanges. I spoke on one of our episodes of uh, an older man who I did a custom piece for. And when we dropped it off, he had made us baked goods. And I <laughs> like I cried in the car yeah. after because you're just, this is so meaningful mm-hmm. to me. I mean, if somebody in my office job says thank you or good job that's like yeah. a big deal much yeah. less makes you homemade cookies so <laughs> right. it just feels like those personal contacts and community development you just you can't put a price tag on some of those well that's things. what i love about it because there's always the what if or what could happen like i'm gonna go here like there's it's so unpredictable and so exciting all the time like every time you walk in a new situation you're like oh what's going to happen tonight? Because you know something's going to happen, right? Yeah. And you take that with you and you're like, oh my God, I like, I love my job. Like, I got paid 20 bucks and two cheeseburgers. Like, that was the best night <laughs> yeah. ever. You're as excited about the two cheeseburgers. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's like anything. Like, my my parents were in business for themselves growing up and my dad always told me, like, um, their business is construction. And I always asked him, like, why don't you ever, like, advertise? Your name's not on your truck or anything. He's like... I, you know, I want to keep working with the people who, you know, the word of mouth advertising. And uh, he's like, anybody, anybody can do what I do. And this is, I keep telling myself too, anybody can learn to do what I do. But one thing they can't replace is who you are. So he's, he's always like, they're hiring me. Yes. And I always kept that in mind is that it's you they want to work with. Anybody can learn to do your craft exactly the way you do. They could, Mm -hmm. like, if they really wanted to, right? But you can't you can't replace you personally with somebody else. So if somebody wants you to come and do a live painting, they want you there. They're, they don't want just anyone to come and do it. They want you there for whatever that reason is, because you made that connection with, you know, the guy who baked you something and he, um, you know, passed your name on to someone. They're like, we don't want anyone else. We want you. And that's the kind of stuff that, like, really, like, keeps me going and makes me happy is, like, when people say we we don't want anyone else but you. Well, we were talking about uh, rejection earlier on and how that can build up and kind of kind of wear you down. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you have all these moments where you know that there's people out there who their favorite band in the world is is mm-hmm. my band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, and you're like, there's a lot of bands in the world. Yep. And they just got a tattoo with our song lyrics. And like you, you, the, the, those are the moments for me that are like, when you get these 20 rejections in a row, you, you think about the moments like that or the connection you have with someone who just, uh, they're going through a really tough time, um, in in an abusive relationship and they've Mm -hmm. listened to one of our songs and that Mm -hmm. helped them leave the relationship and find safety and and that song is representative of that to them they connected to it and i'm like jesus like it's my responsibility to do this now yeah 
I it's not even a choice. Like if I am able to affect people in that yeah. way, like I have to do it. A hundred percent. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to. And I think eventually, you know, the, the money comes and I know money is always going to be like that, that variable, especially like right now, like everything is so like off the charts right now. But yeah. um, if you keep doing it for the right reasons, and to me, that is like a right reason, yeah. you know, it could be so-and-so down the street is like, I, if you guys stop making music, like, you know, you know, I'll be really pissed off, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's a responsibility yeah but it's also like i don't know it can be something as simple as someone writing you and saying that song touched me and that can like keep you going for like however long it's like yeah. it's your energy right so i think that's and i wish people would do more of that like and i'm i'm guilty of that too is like reaching out to artists and saying i really like that that was cool like yeah. something as little as that is like makes such a big difference it's in everything. someone's life. Yeah. Yep. Then it could be like just so and so down the street. It could be someone on the other side of the country or different country. Like for someone to take the time and say, I really like what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Like, something simple. Mm -hmm. Like how many freaking musician suicides would have been prevented by just things like that? Uh, like how many just happier people be out there? Happy like, people. Yeah. Someone kills themselves and then afterwards just outpouring of love comes. Well, it's so easy to get in your own head and be like, I suck, I suck. Like, yeah. this is not going well. Um, You know, I can't pay my bill or whatever. Or my parents are going to sell me. Like, whatever your situation is, you know, that one person reaching out can, yeah, make a massive difference in not only in your life, but in your trajectory, your career. Like, it's so simple. Like, I think I really think people should do more of that. I'm going to do more. I, uh, <laughs> after this, that's the go. moral yeah. of this. Yeah. You, you shared a song that I posted over a year ago, a, a cover song Yeah, when I was doing weekly covers and, uh, one of your friends yeah. in, uh, Washington Amy. state, yeah. Amy, she, she saw it in, in, in that moment in time, in her life, everything that was going on, that's, her hearing that song yep. and then going down the rabbit hole yep. of listening to my music was what she needed. I yeah. guess like she just really resonated with it. Yeah. And again, a lot of people will say I suck. A lot of people won't, yeah. won't get it, but she resonated with exactly what I was doing. Yeah. Then I looked up her and she's a photographer. Mm -hmm. I looked up her work and I'm like, that's, um, that's amazing. Like it's mm -hmm. so gritty and yep. it just, like I, I connected with her work. Yep. I've never met her in real life, but I feel like we have this connection now. Mm -hmm. And we need to get her out here. Yeah, Amy. Yeah. If you're listening, Amy. Get on an airplane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that speaks though to how we choose to show up, especially on social media these days, where it's so easy to compare yourself to others or feel like you're having failures, mm -hmm. but I tr I've lately been trying to more intentionally use it as a tool. So mm -hmm. there's great research and information. And, and like you're saying, people that are doing amazing things. And I have to think to myself, how proactive am I being in offering up the kind of feedback that I need in my life mm -hmm. to feel that confidence yeah. and to keep going and have that encouragement? Yeah, and it's so easy and it's free. And it's, it's like, free. why I know, I know. And it's, I don't know, you get in your own head sometime and you're like, and that's kind of the the shitty part of this job is that you get these blinders on and you're like, 
okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. And you forget like all these other little things that you should be doing or could be doing, but they shouldn't be seen as like um, a pain in the ass, you know, like I feel like eventually all those things come back to you somehow, like when you're kind to other people or you help raise money or you donate your time or whatever, that all comes back to you eventually. And it could be next week. It could be next year. It could be like 10 years down the road. Somebody will like remember, connect with you. So true. And um, so I think like as long as you feel honorable and, you know, in what you're doing and you can sleep well at night knowing that, you know, you're doing what you wish other people would do to you. I think that's success. Like, um, I, you know, the definition of success is something that I haven't been able to pinpoint myself um, because by all definitions, you know, from the outside looking in, you would think that I've achieved a certain level of success. But, you know, I'll look at my bank account. We'll tell you that, oh, well, she got she got a ways to go. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but money isn't the only factor right. at all. It's or- not. It's not. And that's a really hard one. And that's something that was a big struggle in leaving a comfortable job with a steady paycheck, with benefits, with pension. And you knew like right down to the cent what was going to be coming in and when it was going to be coming in. Yeah. And that was really hard for me to let that go because I felt that like that was selfish um, because I had a household to contribute to. And I was letting that go, not knowing if I would ever be able to replace that. And I've seen a lot of people give up because they haven't been able to achieve this financial goal that they have in mind. And that's really a shame because I I understand that money is important. Obviously, we need to to buy the things we need to to keep living. Um, but it's not everything. It's like this little piece of the puzzle. And, you know, to obviously my salary was going to go down when I left because we had, like I said, we had two little kids. We had, I think we were in our second house. And, you know, we have bills just like everybody else. And I was like, I was really scared. Like, what if I let mm-hmm. down my husband? What if I let down my parents who didn't really, weren't really thrilled about this decision, right? Like, so it kind of fired me up in a way, too, that, okay, I got I got to work hard here. because yeah, I got gotta, something to prove. I got here. something to prove. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have a safety net. And I think, like, I've always said, if you have, if you give yourself a safety net or you leave that door open a little bit, oh, I can just go back to that job if if it doesn't work within a year or two years. If you give yourself that safety net or that open door, you're going to use it. You don't want to use that. Like, sh- make the clean break. Like, jump off and learn to fly on your way down. Because if you leave that door open or if you give yourself a a goal that's really unattainable, like I've seen people say, oh, I left my job and I told myself that if I didn't replace that salary in a year... Then I just go back to that job. I'm like, a year's not long enough. Mm-hmm. You can't, come on, give yourself 10 years. Yeah. Give yourself 20 years. Like, but don't wh- let that, you know. And why is it all just on the financial aspect? Exactly. Like, wouldn't, aren't you more excited to have free time or, or more time or oh, just the. The value. Yeah. In having that flexibility or being available for something or I mean I don't know how many times I've had to um you know pick up a kid or like go to an appointment or drive somebody somewhere and I'm available I'm like my work can wait I'll go do that and I'll come back to it so to have that flexibility in my schedule to me was worth you know so much so today is Monday 
And this episode will be out on Wednesday. Today is my first day as a full-time artist. First I real day. left my job on Friday. And last night we attended the Sold Out Town Heroes show at the Carlton mm. that Mike played That's at. That's why I have this... Uh... Raspy. Well, combined with having COVID three weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, I sound like Johnny Cash. My yeah. voice is not usually this low. Sounds good. It's not though. a bad sound. Sounds good to me. I'm kind of digging it. <laughs> so we did that. We then went to uh, an after party celebration for my friend Steph, who just released a full length feature film. It's called Night Blooms. And we were able to s- go visit friends and celebrate yeah. her and with her. Until, mm-hmm. I don't know, midnight, which is yeah. several hours past my bedtime when yeah. I'm used to getting up at yep. 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Today, I get groceries at 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sitting here with you. Mm-hmm. None of those things would have happened no. if my career, like the career would have prevented all of these beautiful moments spent yeah. with friends and connecting and, and even like, being in support of my partner. Like, mm-hmm. like just at the end of my show last night, like... We would have had to kind of rush out so mm-hmm. you could get to bed to be up at five yeah. o'clock. Yeah, and like you're you be you leaving your job in the government also makes those little moments for both of us better, right? Like yeah, so we could we could sit there and I could jo- enjoy a cold beer after the show, talking to people, and you could enjoy just being being with your friends and just. Like every every aspect that we enjoyed last night was something that would not would not have happened if we had a rush home. Yeah, yeah. the freedom is beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Like it just it feels good. It feels it's good and such a small thing too. Like, yep. it's, but it's it's so small but so big at the same time. Yeah, and I think what people forget to realize is how much it costs to go to work. Like when you have an office job and you you know you're putting those kilometers on your car and the gas money if you're if you're driving. The way you have to dress if there's a dress code at your work and there's always someone going, let's go for lunch or let's go for Mm -hmm. coffee or or drinks after work or whatever like that. There is a cost associated with that. And so, you know, if you really want to, like, be that kind of person who gets the Excel spreadsheet out and really starts comparing the two lifestyles, Mm -hmm. I think you'll find there's not a whole lot of difference at the end of the day. Like, I was really worried when when I left my job that I was going to have you know, significantly less money. But if I think, if I compare my bank statements from like, you know, point A to point B, there's really not a whole lot of difference because you just adjust in other ways, right? Um, We got rid of cable, I think was one, like just little things like that. I'm like, don't miss that. And the clothing thing is such a simple (laughs) thing, but yeah, you you have to have a particular wardrobe when you're in a high profile role. I mean, I I'm wearing a baggy hoodie right now. Like I wouldn't yep. get away with that. In no, the office, you wouldn't be given so. a presentation at the no, office like that. Nope. That's a cardigan, Kristen. Well, <laughs> only we can see it. So. <laughs> it's your cardigan, I think. Even it is. My, I got that for Christmas in grade seven. I asked for I asked for a cardigan for Christmas one year for some reason. I think your mom's given you a cardigan every year since. That's too, like in so. really good shape. I can see that you've worn it a lot. Yeah. I wore that playing on uh, CBC uh, Christmas. A Christmas show for radio, and uh, they interviewed me about that cardigan. So it was dressy for you. Uh, this cardigan's at a time, famous, but yeah, we'll have to put this up for us. <laughs> There's a side note. If times get tough, didn't want to interrupt. We can there, we but... could take a photo to attach to right to this. Somehow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, the cardigan we... needs to be memorialized <laughs> at this point. It serves a spot on the wall. Yeah. I think. <laughs> well, that's probably a good time to to wrap up. I I did want to ask one last question, Lindsay, about. 
you've done so much uh, advocacy work and and profiling um, for access to sport. For those who are listening, how how can they support you and, and that cause? So where can they find you online for your work, but also the work that you represent? Right. So, you know, when I first started this latest project that I've completed about um, adult women in sport, it, it, like I said, it started very small and then it, it kind of snowballed. And then in my, I'm one of those people who's always looking for ways to not, not necessarily to give back because I, I'm not like, oh, look at me giving back, but I'm always looking for ways to pay it forward and to include, you know, to, to keep the snowball effect going. And if I can get, you know, so-and-so to, to help so-and-so and, and kind of create like a, a movement kind of thing, then that's kind of my jam. So, um, with the, you know, with my book, um, I kept a portion of all the sales and I've been donating um, money to adult women who are looking to either try a new sport or get back into a sport as an adult. Uh, There's a big difference between doing something Mm -hmm. when you're 18 and doing something when you're 40. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't need to get into the benefits of physical literacy right now. Like we all know it's good. Movement is good. Um, It's healthy. Um, we don't do it enough. We sit around a lot and uh, people need to get active. So it was kind of like this initiative to um, with a focus on a- adult women. And I, I chose that because I am one and I know that world and it, it made sense to me. So um, I've been um, donating things like sports equipment, memberships, um, whatever people need. Um, and I can help them if it's a bus pass to get to the Y, to get to their class or whatever, like these little simple things that can make a difference between someone participating or not participating. That's the goal. So a portion of the sale of the book is going towards that. And with the hopes this year to kind of expand that a little bit and to try to find, create more ways for people to donate, because right now I can't like, I can't issue anyone a charitable receipt or anything if they wanted to give me money. So I've been declining um, yeah. that. So we're looking at ways to like keep the movement going, make it a little bit bigger um, to get adult, um, adults in sport. And that's kind of the goal this year is to, to expand and, and to be able to, to give more. I don't think we ever said the name of your book yet. So <laughs> strong and free. Yeah. And what what's your website? You uh, it's just it's lindsaydoyle.ca. Uh, my name is spelled weird, so you guys might need to put that on. It's we'll spelled wrong all the time. In the show notes. Yeah, yes. you bet. Yeah, yeah. So it's on my website, or it can be purchased like you guys through the Friesen uh, bookstore online if you're not local to Halifax. Well, awesome. It's, yeah, this... it's so good. I. I appreciate, Lindsay, your honesty, your candidness, your willingness to be there for other artists, especially me. I I know I will continue to come to you for advice and questions and your friendship has meant so much and your your talent is recognized across the country at the very least, if not worldwide, I'm sure, at this point or to come. So Thanks so much for spending time uh, with us today. Thanks for having Honored me, guys. Your first guest. Yay, yeah. I'm excited. That's a big Be- deal. Before the right before the interview, like me and Kristen, we didn't we didn't want to talk over each other because we we never did. We talked uh, the first three episodes were just us talking back and forth, and we're like, well, what, should we have a sign? Like like 
to ask the next question. And I'm like, I'll just wink at you. (laughs) I was like, no, I don't think you should be winking at me. Like, (laughs) Lindsay will definitely pick up on that. What is going on here with all the winking? (laughs) Like, you guys really are into each other. (laughs) (laughs) So we never landed on something. So I think we, I think we did. All right. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I would think you guys have been doing this for years. Like, this is a very natural setting for you. And I can't wait to see what you do next because, like, this is really cool, you guys. Like, this is fun. This is, like, educational. And it's just, I love it. Well, we love what you're doing and uh, so grateful we can have you here. And let's let's do it again. We'll get a few more episodes under our belt yeah. and we would love to have you back. I would love to come you're a neighbor, dude. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm walking distance, so. <laughs> Beauty. Yeah. Okay, folks. Signing out. Episode four. <laughs>